The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Then we'll be out graveled. Uh, what if I can I get a bit of phlegm in the mix? Bill English had a real like gravel that. going on. I like that. Just a bit of a, a low rumbling gurgle. Love that. <laughs> the kind of mucal subwoofer of the Ben Thomas system. Tonsil <laughs> viscosity <incredible>. level ten. <laughs> incredibly sexy. <laughs> Tēnā katoa, this has gone by lunchtime. My name's Toby Manhaya, hello Annabelle Lee Mather. Hello and happy birthday Toby. Kia ora Ben Thomas. What? Um, How old are you? Not telling. Okay. He's qualified for his gold card so we're all going to Waiheke after this. <laughs> Ancient. Just about. Um, uh, Annabelle. Yes. Your television programme which is called The Hui is yes. now available on a podcast I gather. It is. It's on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and Podbean. Um, which feels like a little bit of a betrayal, but not nearly as much of a betrayal as Ben Thomas, who has recently been gallivanting with the real pod. I think everyone knows that I only started doing the politics podcast as a way into reality TV commentary. I was sitting at my desk working, and Ben Thomas bounded out of the podcast studio at the spin-off. And I have never seen a happier human being in my life. His smile. It's an incredible was as betrayal. Wild as the North Island. It's an incredible betrayal. I mean, we've got the Hui podcast, but you would never hear my voice on it. That's Whereas right. Whereas that's right. Ben's off on every other podcast he can get on. Sucking up to people on Twitter. Mm. If if Sucking I was up to reality TV podcasters. Now, now that my primary interest is um, reality TV, seeing the stories of real New Zealanders on our screens, if I if I was if I had watched the Hui, if I'd seen Mahindra <gasps> Forbes, oh my, gosh. completely eviscerate the Prime Minister last week, wh- where would I go for more Annabelle Lee Mather content? You you would go to iTunes. What, what, if I, what, what if I wanted to Apple see this? Podcasts? What if I wanted to see the story, uniquely New Zealand stories about real people on our state broadcaster? Then what would I do? I think he's trying to win his way back into your good books. We're not on the state broadcaster, Ben. We're on TV three. RNZ. RN, he means RNZ. He means. He means. The what about the Casketeers? Oh, the Casketeers. What, like, oh, what about the fucking oh, Casketeers, Annabelle? <laughs> <laughs> 
I thought you were talking about the hui. <laughs> Yes, the Casketeers. Oh, so just the just too many award-winning TV properties to keep track of. I'm just sorry. like <laughs> you could watch the Casketeers at eight o'clock on Monday nights, or you could watch the New Zealand Wars series on RNZ or the Hui on TV Three. I'm sorry. I was watching um, Seven Sharp last night, as you do, and at what, and there was do a you? bit in um, Hillary was trying out a fancy uh, coffin. And it was with um, Francis Tipinier, who was the star of Casketeers, mm. one of the great modern New Zealand television programs invented by Annabelle Lee Mather. Anyway, at one point, Jeremy said, Jeremy Wells said to her, I mean, joking, but also he said, you make a beautiful corpse. It's a beautiful compliment. Is it? I hope someone says that about me one day. When yeah. you're alive or when you're dead? Preferably when I'm dead, but yeah. I'd take it. Alive. Remember, a lot. Of, a lot of the time lately, I look like a corpse. Anyway, so I mean, Newsboy is from is the nineties, so it's you know, it's a, it's a, that real kind of Nick Cave sort of vibe. Mm. You know, that's mm. the sort of thing that was a compliment mm. back in our day. Mm. The gothic community would accept that compliment gladly, I imagine, or the emos as we call them now. <laughs> um, this is a politics podcast, so we're going to focus on the political corpses. Uh, shout out and thanks to <laughs> Flick. Electric for um, the support of the uh, politics section on the spinoff. Big, big thank you and a sloppy kiss to uh, spinoff members for your support and allowing us to have these high-level conversations <laughs> about the issues of the day. Um, political corpses. There was a poll that came out last night um, on a comma Brunton poll for One News on that, TVNZ. That they specifically released to support this podcast, eh? Yes, they did. They helped us out there. And they, although it must have been infuriating, I felt sorry for um, Jessica Much Mackay because, you know, you got your poll day, you've got your lead story, you fly up to Auckland, you're ready to go, and then these the fucking boat race. Oh, <laughs> it's I like know. All these boats going up yeah. and down and bobbing out of the water. It's quite fun. But obviously, the, then the, the news leads were there, and yeah. you're sort of coming in second. Anyway. So did we win? What? Have we got the cup? No. Oh. We're well, recording this on Tuesday morning um, yeah. uh, for all the all the all the boaties, America's Cup lovers. This is more Patriots. of this. I'm going to emerge out of the studio into a world where the race is still on. Yes, there uh, might not be enough wind today, though, Ben. Because <clears throat> if they if it's less than six point five knots, they can't race. Did anybody it see? Disturbs um, me how much you know about this stuff. Did anybody see ro- uh, the big event though, which was Rock the Dock? On uh, Saturday, did you see that, Jonathan, over there? Who's on the? Um, uh, we've uh, got one of New Zealand's great musicians helping us out today, and I'm surprised that you didn't watch Rod Stewart rock. Jonathan the dog. would rather. House. You were at Crowded House. House. All right. I was going to say Jonathan would rather puncture his eyeballs <laughs> and his eardrums well, he than was, go to rock the dock. He was watching Neil Finn of the Australian band Crowded House rather than the great New Zealand. Of Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> the great New Zealand. This is a hundred percent pure New Zealand event with um, a 1972 Scottish folk song being sung by a 76-year-old. Um, which was which was reproduced in full on the cover of the Otago Daily Times last week. They, they had an entirely black front page with the words to We Are Sailing. On, and it's times like this that you're, you're, you're reminded... In times of national crisis or unity, what a powerful medium print can be. <laughs> Not to be a dick, but I really love that song. 
Is that just sort of Stockholm syndrome from having to sing Possibly. it at high, its primary school assemblies in no, the eighties? No, we used to actually sing Psycho Killer at our primary school <laughs> in the eighties. I swear to God, that was the song we used to do. And um, one-eyed, one-horn, flying purple people eater. Straight up, why heck yeah, because you grow up thinking these things are standards, but actually, they're just whatever sort of grab yeah. bag of songs that yeah. the teachers learned to play with the three chords yeah. they were mandated to learn at Teachers College. Yeah, we sang sailing. Shout out to my awesome music teacher, Mr. Deleu. He was I, the man. I, I shout out to Mr. Deleu. Um, I think that the Best solution if I was in judge, I would have just got Dave Dobbin, which you do, but instead of getting him to do what's the one he normally does? Welcome home. Yeah, no, I would have got him to do loyal, but change the lyrics so it was foil. <laughs> right. Uh, there's a poll last night, and uh, it was one of those polls <coughs> that was not really good news, particularly for anybody, was it? Um, there, were, there were kind of people. The, the, the sort of big movement was Jacinda Ardern and the preferred prime minister going down 15 percentage points, but there's some methodology differences, which maybe we'll get to in a second. Um, I think One News, <coughs> whose poll it was, headlined it on National Party slipping, didn't they? Um, even though, the, I should tell you what the numbers were. Basically, Labour 49% down 4, National Party 27 up 2, Greens 9 up 1, Act steady on 8, New Zealand First steady on 2, Māori Party steady on 2, blah, blah, blah. Ben? Yeah, I don't think you can ignore the methodological differences, mm. um, and I think they they pretty much account for everything in terms of those much lower um, <coughs> preferred prime minister ratings for Ardern and Collins. You better explain what the methodological, methodological, methodological changes were. So, as, as part of this nation's progress towards a brighter future, uh, <laughs> elderly boomers have been excluded from these polls because they no longer sample landlines. Mm. Um, they've gone to 50% uh, mobile, 50% internet. Um, I was last night, after I finished watching Seven Sharp, now that I am basically <laughs> a boomer, I then listened to Marcus Lush. <laughs> and one of the subjects he was was how people with landlines had been now excluded from the, the polling for the, the Colmar One News. And there were a bunch of people on landlines who rang up and were, you know, a exclusively bit they on had landlines now been who were deleted from democracy. Did Merv call? No, I don't think Merv did. I didn't actually mm. listen for, for Merv. long enough for Merv. But yeah, shout out to Merv as well. Hi, Merv. Oh, and the Bad Boys of Brexit, who we've um, Bad Boys of Brexit neglected. still still stuck here under <laughs> still stuck here under the harsh quarantine conditions, making so, new lives for themselves. <laughs> so they got rid of the they got rid of the, they got rid of the landlines, and now it's just fifty percent uh, mobile phones and fifty percent uh, online panel. I think. Yeah, which is fine, as we've seen over the past few years. The maddest boomers have all gone onto Facebook, so they're familiar with the uh, the online milieu. They love an online survey. Yep. They oh look, they they want to be part of the process, part of the discourse, part of the discussion. <laughs> so, what what this methodology does seem to have done, if we look at the preferred prime minister rankings, is a, a, a higher percentage of people who say don't know uh, or refuse to answer that question. Not quite sure why that is. Maybe people still think that it costs them minutes to be mm. on their mobile and they, they answer the party one and then oh, go, I've right. got to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah. don't know and refuse combined with 33%. 
Wow. It's a lot. That's a lot. It's a lot of people who don't know. Yeah, you often get a higher don't know on um, the Prime Minister because that's an unprompted question. So with the parties, mm. they, they give you a list of the parties. With the politicians, they just say, with the Prime Minister, they just say, who do you want as Prime Minister? And you just have to say a name, mm. um, which is why the huge popular grassroots support for Christopher Luxon is showing through. Uh, <laughs> He went steady on two percent. I mean, those on those preferred prime minister numbers. Some Michael Appleton, who's um, very good on polls and very good on cricket, uh, he calculated that it was if you if you t- remove the don't knows and the refuse, that it's basically a, a two 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 percent point swing because yeah. because the Judith Collins Judith Collins dropped by what was it uh, bells. Um, Judith Collins is down four percent and proportionate to the twelve percent she started on. That's. Uh, roughly, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I think the major thing is that we can't take a lot from this poll, mm. and, and you wouldn't expect uh, that you would. Not a lot has changed over summer. Not a lot has changed since the election. Um, we've had a couple of little little lockdowns. Um, we've had a couple of, you know, the first one was maybe a little poorly handled because it led to the second one. Um, there's been a bit of stuff happening on the margins. The the uh, government's housing policy has just sort of increasingly been showing up, been shown up as worthless. On the other hand, those median voters in the middle who have all got one to three mortgages um, all gained about you know two hundred thousand dollars in value over the summer break when everyone was at the beach. Mm. So you would not expect that there was any big movement either way. You know, there's not a lot of uh, room for Labor to go up. Um, if house prices double before the end of the year, I think they might sort of get near 60. Um, but otherwise, you know, you wouldn't expect to see any kind of great divergence from the election result. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was um, interesting that Jacinda Ardern had taken um, a bigger hit than the Labour Party support, which is relatively steady, and I did wonder if that was... COVID-related because she is so um, intrinsically tied to that whole kaupapa and the last two lockdowns obviously um, didn't go down well. But then when you look at the don't know and the refused, which is at 33% incredibly high, it's kind of hard to really um, put too much into that. Well, let's talk about that COVID response, shall we, since... um we're on it. The there was the short snap three day lockdown. Then we came out of that, of course, and then there was that Saturday night press it was quite conference. Quite a nice lockdown. That you first quite liked one. the three day well, one. I liked it. Mm. it was uh, nice. Then there was a seven day, a seven day lockdown. These are these are in Auckland. We should stress. Um, and I mean, the, you know, there are various different kind of arguments swirling around it, but one of the things that I think was interesting was the way management of the decision to move in Auckland from Level 2 to Level 1, which happened last Friday. And there was a cabinet meeting held on the Thursday afternoon with a press conference, uh, a scheduled press conference hosted by the Prime Minister at, I think, noon. It was 11.30 or noon. And there was quite a lot of frustration and upset, and I think probably fair, to be honest, that... The, the cabinet had made a decision in principle, it seemed, and they were waiting for some final test results. <clears throat> but if you were running a 
business that relied on moving into level one, you didn't really have time to book staff or 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 get supplies in. The point being, if you were having the cabinet meeting, could you not have announced an in-principle decision after that with a very heavy caveat, which is we have to say if the results come in tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. But at that point, the chances of the results was, was, was minuscule. It, was, it might have been one or two, you know, like very low. It, that was weird, wasn't it, Ben? I mean, I, I think... On the whole, you have to say that Ardern and her government have handled that part of the equation extremely well in terms of communicating those things to people directly. And this seemed like one of the first slips in terms of, and in some ways, it's trivial. Like it's not, it's not in the scheme of things a big, th- a big, big deal. But keeping people on side and the social license stuff and the buy-in, whatever you want to call it, is really important. It is a tricky position for them because I think if there's one thing that we, as Aucklanders, residents of New Zealand City of Dreams, um, lockdown veterans on our what fourth tour now have seen it's that as soon as an alert level increase or, or decrease is announced, people just start acting as if it, it's already happened. Mm-hmm. So I think if you gave you know twenty four hours notice that FX, then we will drop down an alert level. I think. You know, immediately at noon tomorrow, um, I think you would see people start to act as if it was level one immediately. Mm. Now, the the only reason that that's not uh, a sort of totally sort of winnable winning argument for the government is that personally, I I get the feeling level two is a bit of a fake level anyway. I don't think that there's widespread compliance. If you go to shopping malls, if you go to retail outlets, if you're just out on the street, there's not there's no social distancing going on. Um, there's I mean, no, it's not trivial if you're running an arts festival or a pride festival that, or that, a sports that's event. That's right. I, th- I think that the burden for Level 2 falls solely and unfairly on people organising events. Um, you know, it doesn't seem to me that the risk from an arts festival event is necessarily any greater than Kmart. Um, but but one, one of these, one of these uh, people is, you know, arts festival organisers are expected to bear the brunt of that. Um, and I, I, would, I would sort of hope that our contact tracing and ability to convince people not to go to the gym, not to go to KFC, um, would be sufficient by now that we wouldn't need to, you know, stymie these large events when we are reasonably confident that there's not, uh, you know, any kind of um, unknown chain of transmission. I think one thing that people do continue to do in Level 2, although we're not great at it overall, is to continue to scan. And Mm. then once we hit Level 1, it kind of goes out the window. Kia ora, Justin Giovanetti here, and I'm the political editor at The Spinoff. This podcast, like so much of the work we do at The Spinoff, is made possible by the support of our members. To find out more about The Spinoff members and how you can help us keep producing quality, independent journalism, visit members.thespinoff.co.nz and do it today. The other thing that came uh, last week... Annabelle was the announcement of the vaccine rollout and the timings uh, for the for, for the kind of first two million of the team of four million, which is the adult population of the team of five million, and it was basically it's basically a staggered approach. Uh, you know, people over seventy five under sixty five underlying health conditions, uh, people in South Auckland uh, go up 
if you have underlying health conditions or over 65, I think you go into an earlier category. Anyway, it's basically the, 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 the rollout. And it was designed to try and answer some people's questions around clarity on when it was rolling out, while other countries around the world are moving faster, and some of that makes a lot of sense because they've got a higher threshold, lower threshold for risk, higher threshold for risk. You know, they've got more, they've got COVID teeming through their populations, um, but they also have apps where they can check. And Australia is ahead of us on that, etc. What did you make of that rollout? And can you tell us about? You did some polling. Mm for your television programme, which is also now a podcast, mm. uh, on Māori perceptions around vaccines? Mm. I, th- um, I, th- I think the government would be happy with the results of the poll that we did. We sampled 500 Māori, which is a, a good, a, a great sample size for mm. the Māori population. You, did you use landlines? Good question. I'm not sure. Mm. I don't think we did. Mm. Um and it showed that about 65% of Māori are likely to ta- take the vaccine and only 12% say they definitely wouldn't, which is a really good starting point. And when you start to drill down into the reasons why, um, there's a lot of concern around what the long-term effects of the vaccine might be, which I think is a, a very reasonable concern to have given how quickly the vaccine was developed and interestingly it showed that women were more likely to be concerned about it than men and young people more likely to be concerned about it than than um, than older people and you know p- potentially some of the reasons are that you know younger women um, are planning to have children and there's no evidence yet about what the long-term effects of mm. the vaccine might be on um, on pregnancies and and that sort of thing. Um, one of the the other interesting results that came through is that what Maori are looking for is really good medical advice and evidence, and mm. they don't they don't care what iwi leaders say, they don't care what rugby stars say, they don't care what social media influencers have to say about it. That won't encourage them to take a vaccine. They care about. Um, what their GPs have to say, their primary health mm. providers, and Dr. Ashley Bloomfield. So, what they're really asking for is is quality evidence, and I think that's perhaps where the government hasn't been so strong is communicating um, and and targeting those communities so mm. that they really understand what the vaccine is about. Another major concern is access and the cost of a vaccine. And there's concern that while the vaccine might be for free, if you go into your GP, for example, to have a consultation about it, mm. are you going to be getting charged for it? So um, so there's some, some really interesting issues um, that come up. And I think, you know, it would be a good idea for the government... Excuse me. I'm sorry, sorry, is that some other platform trying to get you on? It is a client. It's sorry, um, my my phone is on like super loud because I was... I was talking to RNZ's first up about the poll. Oh, like another, another. Five, yeah, and, and, yeah. It was yeah, but it, like like it was at right. five five forty or something. Oh, and God. any 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 time I do radio interviews before like six a.m., you're not getting my most sort of coherent or intelligible self. Oh, sorry, I thought I. <laughs> 
I mean, would should so, we should we would you like the room? Do you want us to go away and come mm, back when you're mm, done? Can, it's fine. We can. We can pause. Jonathan, can you hit pause? You, can, you, you guys can just work on. So I'll just. You just do your thing. Yeah. But but an, another issue that you know all of this raises is in terms of the focus on on over 65s being prioritised. Mm. If you look at the Māori health outcomes when it comes to COVID com- uh, infections, it shows that a 59-year-old Ma- uh, Māori has uh, the same health outcomes as an 80-year-old mm. Pākehā who's infected with COVID. So what Māori want to know is, is that going to be taken into account with the COVID-19 vaccine rollout that Māori are more likely to have underlying illnesses that essentially push them up into an older age bracket? So, Which is an echo of the superannuation argument, isn't it? In that's terms right. Of the, the arguments for raising the age. One, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that was interesting coming out of the Papatoitoi High School cluster was the challenges and... Uh, shortcomings of the communications efforts in communities that are not necessarily <coughs> consuming the mainstream mainstream mm. mainstream media outlets and so that's part of the challenge isn't it? I mean I know that they've when asked those questions what they they say is yes we've got a big program of work for for sending those messages out revaccination and 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 the the research but they're trying to time it right is the line they run but it seems like the danger is when You've got other platforms like Facebook. <laughs> yeah. You kind of want to, there's no time to waste, right? In a lot of ways, the horse is bolted and, and the government has really not got out um, in front of this issue and communicated well with Māori. And again, the Papatoi High School issue is a great example and you've got them saying, oh, well, we sent them letters on this state and this state and this state. But when you read the letters, it says things like, we encourage families to go get mm. a test. Well, that's not the same as saying we require you to go get a test. Um, there's no date specified on when they'd like you to be tested by, but then whānau are criticised for, you know, not getting them straight away. But you've got to understand that, you know, these people may not have time to just step away from their jobs and go line up for several hours in a queue to go get tested. And unless you're saying to them, we need you to do this within three working days or whatever, then those are the sort of outcomes you're going to get. And if and it seems incredibly unfair to blame that community for those miscommunications. Yeah, I think the government has dropped the ball on comms. Um, and there doesn't need to be anything particularly special or subtle about it. They just need to adopt the sort of blanket, all fronts offensive that they did during that first lockdown last year when we first went to level four. Um, it just needs to be everywhere that any of the readers are, you know, particularly Facebook, YouTube, mm. where, where, you know, vulnerable communities are getting very, very bad advice <laughs> about vaccines in general, um, usually from overseas grifters or from our own imported grifters here. Um, weirdo crank Jonathan Eisen is back and his uh, David Fisher wrote a good story for the Herald. Um, he's, he's circulating about I think about twenty or thirty thousand copies of an anti-vax sort of mm. published magazine. Mm. Um, one of my friends found a copy in Gisborne um, at a cafe. You know, uh, 
uncensored magazine, Investigate magazine, mm. is still all going strong on 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 promoting these conspiracies. Um, and you know what that first lockdown showed us is that you you actually can reach most people, you know, if you're willing to put enough money, enough time, enough resource into it. Um, if you're willing to be very, very boring, um, that's actually what's needed here. Mm-hmm. Just drill those messages in, give people access to health professionals. You know, don't don't just make it trite sort of slogans, but actually, you know, make sure that people understand it. And, and the other thing too is just presuming that everyone is tuned into the one o'clock press conference. You know, there's a lot of criticism of the Papatoi High School community. You know, the line was, everybody knows the messages, everybody knows what they have to do. Well, actually, they don't, and there's mixed messages, and you're presuming that, like, Māori whānau, um, new migrant whānau are all sitting around um, consuming media or information in the same way. You're assuming that they have internet access and all sorts of other things, and mm. you just can't do that. I mean, I do think one. Of, I, th- I think there's no doubt that the communications campaign, particularly you know, of, of, around a year ago, was exceptional and 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 better than just about anything in the world. However, at the same time, everybody was watching, and you can see that when yep. you edit a website and you see the numbers on it. You can see it when you watch a live stream of a one pm and you see them. The numbers of you know YouTube will tell me tell you Facebook will tell you how many people are watching and it's heaps. Yesterday I was watching the Prime Minister's post cab post cabinet press conference on the RNZ YouTube stream and there were sixty two people watching. Yeah, you know, so mm. the 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 it's it's a different it has to be a different strategy this time because people aren't coming to you. You need to I think go to them a bit more actively. Um, the one other thing I was just going to say in passing is when we're just um, on the on the COVID thing and this lockdown was some of the commentary I think needs pushing back a bit, which is to say just the the the, the line that there have been no cases, therefore, ergo, that the we didn't need to have the lockdown seems to me a very stupid one, <laughs> um, and it continues to be peddled quite 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 widely. But it's, it seems to me a bit like saying. I walked through a, 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 a shooting range, wore a bulletproof vest, but didn't get hit. Therefore, I did not need to wear a bulletproof vest. I, I it's haven't, just I haven't weird. S- I haven't seen that much of that well, kind of commentary. I, I mean, I think the the, the national opposition, you know, yeah, <laughs> their line would be. That the second, or you know, for instance, David Seymour has said, you know, the, the second lockdown was unnecessary because of a weakness in the contact tracing and and making sure that they had covered all of the um, all of the co- contacts. Um, and you know, look, there, there's an argument for that, mm. you know. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, you know, we're, we're reasonably close to the finish line now. Um, I, I still think that. That you know, one of the things the the prime minister needs to work on, which I we're, just edit out all that fluffy around. But the <laughs> one of the constant themes, you know, that we're seeing, you know, particularly in housing as well. But I think now we're seeing, in terms of the COVID response and the travel bubble to Australia, mm. is rhetoric to just sort of stall and placate the public, but no real intention of doing anything. Um, you know, 
if, if we think about a travel bubble with Australia, you know, there's all these questions about when's the right time, when would be... Well, there's never going to... Apart from when both countries are fully vaccinated, there will never be a better time than there is now. You know, there are, there are sporadic outbreaks from MIQ, both in New Zealand and in Australia. In both cases, they are brought quickly under control. Uh, and... You know, it, it seems insane. The the most and likely, if we have the border workers almost entirely vaccinated with two doses, um, as they will be in Australia, and the Pfizer vaccine has Israeli real world studies show that it's basically ninety percent effective in terms of transmission as well as not developing the disease. So it's yeah, and and right now all we're doing with visitors from Australia is we're putting them into hotels which have people with COVID in them before releasing them out into New Zealand. I mean, they're much more likely to get COVID in MIQ here than they are in Australia. Who cares? We're not talking to Australia anymore. Oh, yeah. That's, that's that <laughs> Channel 9 thing. Them. Oh, my God. Um, uh, to me. Cut them loose. Cut them loose. They, I, We're I just going to call them Zack Biscuits from now on. Zack Biscuits. <laughs> We're losing Zach. the end. Just Zealand. Zealand Army Corps. Yeah. Um... I should just say when when, oh, when, when when I was talking about the the, the people saying zero case that was I'm still a media commentary oh, rather, sure, than, yeah. rather than the, rather than a rather than political opposition. I mean, I think on the whole na- national, no, no have, one should be listening to any media commentary except ours. The Chris, Chris Bishop is doing a pretty reasonable job, you know, with the Shane Retty around and so on. Um, however, the National Party have had um, while they seem to have kind of stabilised their response to COVID as an opposition, they have had this unfortunate landing of a report about you know the 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 the, the campaign of uh, 2020 which didn't go terribly well and compounded by the fact that this report which is apparently uh, commissioned and kept by the board and MPs can only go and see it if you you know like the nuclear rooms you've got to have sort of two thumbprints <laughs> on other side of the room you've got to lock up your firstborn child as Mm. You know, it, a deposit. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. Just um, it's it's a bit unfortunate, Ben. Yeah, it's like going into the JFK archives. <laughs> you know, you're allowed to handle the bullet, but you know, you're sort of watched by two people. And this is, of course, because they're 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 according to some. Apparently, there's been a bit of leaking in the national <laughs> the national party in the last, I guess, five years. Um, and I mean, I, it seems weird to me that they don't do the obvious thing which is distribute versions of the report to every MP, but change one word mm. in like a key paragraph or one puncture, you know, and so that then when it gets, when Tova reports it, mm. that word will have, you'll be able to, it'll be like a fingerprint. Yeah, I mean, it, instead it's just going to sort of swirl around as amorphous kind of snatches of information. Mm. Um, you can see why they'd want to keep it on the down low because it, it really is in the most pure sense just kind of raking over a corpse. Right, it, you know the, the public or, in in terms of <laughs> the beautiful corpse of the 2020 National Party. Um, that you know it, the public, there's there's not really any public interest in in the post mortem of the the election. It's a in lot this, of interest from the public. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We all like to read about other people's misfortune. Like, there's nothing I would like better than to just get a hold of it and you know. 
just like Ready Player <laughs> One think, you know, I remember when that embarrassing thing happened and oh, I can identify oh, who that... Ponsonby Road chapter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know who that person identified by one capital initial letter is, you know, <laughs> what times they were. Um, but, you know, it, it's really a document for the party to chart its own way forward. I've been hearing a little disquiet about whether it is effective in that way. Few aspersions cast on <laughs> the reviewers. Oh, uh, you know the idea that maybe it's a slightly naive document, which you know tries to tries to give the uh, tries tries to solve the problems of too much board power by giving the board more power. Mm. Good, um, smart. Mm. You know, an, an idea that you know there was apparently a bit of a liberal slant on the whole thing. No. Um, so one of the recommendations that's come out is you know more more, di- more diversity, oh, um, no. which I think which you know I mean this report has been written by Wokesters, which which I think is you know absolutely necessary for you know national mm. to move forward and of course the only way that you'll get more diversity in national more is, board power. is is more board power because left to their own devices electorates across the country and not just national electorates tend to favour. White men. Landlines. Yeah. A lot of landlines. A lot of landlines. I mean, if there's ever an argument for diversity and national, it's the Shane Ritti effect, is it not? Who's helped transform national over a very short time from like a crazy group of like QAnon anti vaxxers and <laughs> non COVID believers into a somewhat credible political force again. Oh, shout outs to Dr. Shane Ritti on the birth of his new Mokopuna. Oh. Which he tweeted about. Let's um, wrap this podcast up by talking very quickly about the Mike Hosking situation. Uh, the was announced. Well, it came to light at the start of last week that the Prime Minister's office had informed News Talk ZB that they would no longer be providing them with a weekly interview on a Monday morning in the media round, but it would now be an ad hoc situation, or had already been that for a, for, a, for a four weeks apparently, whereby ZB would need to say, could we please have the Prime Minister? And then they would say yes, if they could, and then they thought it was relevant. Um, Mike Hosking was pretty furious about that. Well, no, he, 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 he presented furious. to be indifferent to it, because that's yeah. his, his style. True. But um, But then basically said the Prime Minister was running for the hills and couldn't face questions and so forth. Is this a bubble thing, you guys? Is it a bubble thing that we get very excited about and that most people don't care about, or is it an important point of principle that reflects a a leadership that no longer has the energy to deal with someone who's a real pain? To be fair, I think she handles her interviews with with Hoskins pretty well. I don't think that he destroys her. He gives her a great run for her money, and that's awesome. That's his job. But I don't think he absolutely throttles or humiliates her. He says dreadful things separately to the, like, you know, and and, and people are, you know, calling, um, what what did he say about um, about, uh, Megan? Hussy. Called her a hussy. No, that's... I believe Jacinda, when she says Mm. that the Labour Party, or her, that she hasn't done a great job of making time for ethnic media and and other groups. And to be honest, um, 
for the people that listen to ZB, there's plenty of opportunity for other broad, for them to access the, the things they care about from other broadcasters. Yes, you still get to go for your free trips to Waiheke. Yes, you get to dispossess the next generation of New Zealanders of ever owning a home. <laughs> you guys are all good. If you want to know that, you know, tune into the AM show or whatever. There's lots of other outlets. But for as someone who works in the Māori media, I can tell you it's really, really hard to get an interview with the PM because Monday she does most of her, her press on a Monday. And I think it's great that she has recognised that, you know, if you want to be the Prime Minister for all New Zealanders, you actually have to take the opportunity to communicate with those groups. And frankly, the stuff... Mike Hoskins cares, cares about and the questions he asks aren't the ones that Māori or Pacifica or migrants or whatever other community it might be care about. So I think it's a good thing that she's making more time you had to focus on communicating with those groups. interview with the Prime Minister two, two weks ago now? Is that a week? A little, yeah, little, March, show before last, March before the last. first. How many episodes are there in a series? 40 episodes. And we how only many, got once last how year. many interviews do you need... How many slots, interview slots, do you want with the Prime Minister across the course of the season? And reasonable, and if and we'll come back and check it. And if you don't meet that mark, then she has to go back and do Mike Hosking every week. I think ideally we'd like four or five. Four or five, okay. Ben, the other side of this, of course, is the, you know, from a from a political standpoint, or uh, the on the the it's the biggest commercial station talk station in the, in the country, the morning show, and it is speaking to an audience of people, many of whom came across the aisle at the last election when, as we remember, Grant Robertson and Jacinda Ardern were all but declaring Labour the party, the lifeboat for the John Key and Bill English fan club. Yeah, I think Annabelle's interpolation of what the Prime Minister is intending by this decision is that's literally what she said. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I and and I do not believe it for a second. Um, she is clearly just trying to avoid unpleasant interviews. I think after her experience with Mihi last week, I think she'll be ducking and diving from the hui just as much as she is from News Talk because it was it was a tough interview for her. You know, she really got held to account. Um, you know, if if this in some way meant that she was indeed, you know, scheduling a weekly interview slot with, you know, Tao on Māori TV, with Takarade, with maybe Marai, with the Hui, and you know, alternated those guys gone by lunchtime, gone by lunchtime, um, then I think you know, then then I'd go, aha, bravo for expanding. But she, she's not going to do that. You know, if you see her her last. Uh, slate of radio appearances were with The Breeze, with Country FM, with <laughs> Solid Gold. Don't you, know. you talk about the good people of Country FM. <laughs> she probably gets oh, a pretty, do I just, she don't even manage to get a soft ride on Country FM. Uh, no, sorry, it wasn't Country The Country, it was, the Country, which is on, the, which is the NZME station, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah the Country. No, it was, it was, you know, the actual Country radio station. The... <laughs> Oh. But basically, it was this. this okay. slate, maybe I'm getting the names wrong, but it was the, it was the slate of the Rock the Dock, Rock the Dock, the, 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 those kinds of those kinds of shows, which you know John Key pioneered, right? Because John Key knew that if you went on those shows, you got if you went on a few of them, you got the same audience that you did listening to either Hosking or 
RNZ, mm. and you just got asked about whether you'd had a pleasant week, what sorts of good things the government is doing for the country, and uh, isn't it a great time to be a New Zealander? Occasional little bit of banter about masturbation and prison rape, you know. That, you know, for the end of the year when, yeah. you, when you're doing your funny one. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and doing your derpies with kids is... Barry what? Soper said. What? Barry Soper wrote this incoherent column about the PM's decision. He didn't hold it together as well as Hosking did. Oh, about not enough drinks. Is that the one about yeah, not enough the drinks about on not the ninth floor? Yeah, not being invited to enough drinks on the ninth floor. Doesn't he understand that the tradition demands that you go out on a massive bender with <laughs> senior members of the press gallery within a week of the new term? That's and you the listen rule. to all their stories. That is the rule. And they yeah. go, oh, you won't believe when we did this with John or Jim or... <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was quite good. That, funny that I didn't the, the press conference when when Soper was challenging um, Ardern as, yeah. he, as he should on her um, quitting the um, Hosking slot. She called him Brian. <laughs> Excellent. She called him Brian. Um. But look, it's you know th- this is just part of the general trend that we're seeing. Key, Key was a maestro of this. Of, of he he sort of pushed out the boundaries of where you would expect to see the prime minister on a regular slot, and he knew that you go to soft entertainment. You do, you know, Key did women's magazines as well. You know, <laughs> the, Jacinda wasn't the first, the one who started that, um, and. And you communicate with people in these less adversarial ways. Now it's even easier with Facebook Live if you're the sort of person who is very good on social media, which Ardern is, and you're popular. She can easily pull in... I've seen Facebook Lives she does that get 400,000 viewers. Mm. I mean, that's that's the same as One News, but you don't have a pesky journalist, uh, you know, paraphrasing your words, and you don't have um, the opposition spokesperson tacked on to the end. I mean, if you're a politician, you'd be mad not to do that. Um, but what what it does mean is that there are fewer, fewer opportunities for accountability. Oh, I disagree, because I think that if she... Um, if she keeps to her word, um, that that she she'll won't. be she'll be getting held accountable by by a range of groups with a range of issues that they care about. Well, so we'll, I we'll really hope she sticks to what she says she's going to do. Because you're right, Ben. If she doesn't, then that's exactly what it is. But if she, if if the reason she's changed her time slot is true, then I think she'll be exposed to a greater level of counter accountability to a different range of communities. Well, let's audit instead it instead of just the boomers. We'll we'll, um, we'll, uh, we'll do an audit on it later in the year. We'll do yeah, a we survey. Will. We'll put in an OIA. Call some landlines. Well, OIA, and find her, out her media diary. This is journalism. Um, thanks, everyone. Podcast manager at the spin-off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our Mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at the spinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.